Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you could turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, Praise God. Luke chapter 5, we have the story of Christ and uh, Peter on the boat. And it says, um, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And it says, he saw uh, two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked them to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When he had done this, he caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, at, this, at this verse, it really speaks to me about the importance of uh, partnership. You know, the Bible says that we are workers together with him. Amen. And, and so we're, we're working together uh, with God uh, for the kingdom. And um, so here, uh, you know, Jesus uses Simon's boat. And um, he tells him to let down the net. The net. They had toiled all night and cut nothing. Um, nevertheless, in obedience to the word of God, he put down the net. When he did that, he got such a catch, um, he wasn't able to bring it in. And then it says, he signaled their partners in the other boat. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And, um, but you know what? The, the, the thing that's, that, that I see in this verse is the importance of partnership. You know, that we can partner together uh, to take the gospel to the nations. And, you know, if Peter, uh, the boats were nearly sinking together, but you know what, uh, it would have definitely sunk if he was on his own. And so, you know, I believe that, you know, as the family of God, that we can stand together, that you can partner with this church as you tithe, as you offer, you know, so that we can take the gospel to this city, to this nation, and to the nations. That's our call. Jesus said, you're called to go, you know, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Each time Jesus draws a bigger circle um, in terms of our responsibility to a lost and a broken world. But the reality is, is that, uh, you know, to go beyond each circle, it takes finance to do it. Um, it takes finance to preach the gospel. And so, you know, we appreciate all of you who stand with us faithfully every week in tithing and offering. And so today as we take up the offering, let's uh, do so remembering, Lord, you are the source of every good thing in our lives. Everything that we have, you've given to us, and we're simply giving back to you what you've already given us. And we acknowledge your bountiful provision in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
And uh, we're finishing our series today called Pray. And um, I'm delighted to have the teenagers in the service. I asked for them to especially uh, to come into the service. Give us a wave if you're a teenager. Come on, give us a wave. I know you're there. I can see you. Don't be shy. Amen. We just want to welcome you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm finishing, uh, like I said, our series called Pray. And, you know, I, I, I truly hope you found encouragement, you know, inspiration, and maybe some perspective on current events uh, through this series. But, you know, more than anything else, I hope that it has, you know, encouraged you uh, to pray and to stand in the gap uh, for your nation, for your generation. I think that's so important. You know, I know this series has probably been a little different to what you might have expected. Um, but, you know, that's not a bad thing because sometimes we need a fresh perspective on a familiar subject. And, um, you know, so th this series has dealt um, not just with the what. I think too many times we want to get straight to the what when we're dealing with a subject without ever dealing with the why. And, you know, I guess this series, I've, I've taken some time to deal with the why of prayer and not just the what. So, um, anyway... Uh, you know, this series has been about teaching us to, to pray strategically in order to affect real change in our society, as opposed to simply praying for personal needs to be met. Because again, while God loves to meet our needs, I believe God wants us to ask for nations. Amen. I believe he wants us to go beyond simply, uh, you know, the meeting of our own personal needs. Just like Jesus to the early church, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Each time he was teaching them to look, you know, beyond and to, and to go further than they had gone before. Amen. And so, anyway, uh, uh, Psalm 2 verse 8, ask me and I will give you the nations. You know, God has called us to win the world, but we can't do this unless we first take our place in prayer. And Habakkuk understood this, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it surely will come to pass, it will not tarry. And so, uh, it, you know, this all started when, when Habakkuk made the decision to seek the face of God. You know, he said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And so he likens himself to a night watchman who, who stays awake through the night watches, watching over the city. And, and I believe that, you know, God has given all of us that responsibility. Psalm 58 and Psalm 85 and verse 8. I will listen to what the Lord will say. For he will surely speak peace to his people and his saints. And he will not let them, uh, he will not let them return to folly. Isaiah 21 and 8. Then the lookout shouted, Day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower. Night after night, I stay at my post. You see, we must persist in prayer and listen. Because God changes the times and the seasons. Amen? And, and so it's important for us to be sensitive to what God is saying. That we must be sensitive to his voice and to his direction. Amen? And this is what Habakkuk understood. It's important that we are led by God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. But you will never be led if you don't listen. And I think there are many Christians who are not listening. Amen. John 10 and verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. God's words translation. My sheep respond to my voice and I know who they are. They follow me. You know, my New King James Bible says my sheep hear my voice and that's wonderful. Amen. But how many of you know as parents, you can ask your children to do something and they hear you and you say it again, and they hear you, and you say it louder, you're shouting up the stairs, they hear you, but they're not listening, they're not obeying, they're hearing, but they're not listening, and I think many of God's children are just like that. It's not that God isn't speaking to you, it's just that some of you aren't listening. God's been speaking to you about that boyfriend, or that girlfriend who's not born again, doesn't love Jesus. Are those friends, anytime you get around them, you end up smoking weed or doing something dumb. God's been speaking to you, but sometimes we are not listening. 
And so, anyway, I think this is a very important message because hopefully, you know, we're going to bring the three weeks together and tie it all together. And I think, you know, you know, I understand the government is saying stay away from people, whatever, but I believe this is important. I believe church is essential. I believe it is so important what we're doing today. Amen? So, you know, where two or more are gathered, I'm there. Jesus Christ is here with us today. Amen? And so, while we're hearing, the question is, are we listening? And in particular, are we responding? Are we responding to Christ's invitation to abide in him? Because again, let me read it. My sheep listen to my voice. My sheep respond to my voice. Have you responded to Christ's invitation to abide in him, to come before him in prayer? John chapter 15 and verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Amen? Uh, it's important for us to understand that without the Lord, we can do absolutely nothing. Uh, we, we, can, we can make all sorts of efforts, uh, but, but ultimately they will be fruitless. John chapter 7, Jesus said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so the invitation has been given, amen, but how many of God's children ignore their father's call? Luke chapter 14 and verse 16. A great man gave a great supper, uh, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuse. How many people stayed in bed this morning because they made an excuse? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I've had a long week. This is my only day off. But many times I believe people miss out on an encounter with God because of laziness, or because of the obstacles the devil will invariably put in your way. You know, one of the things that shocked me, you know, since we've done the Eventbrite, is that there's usually about 100 cancellations between those who have booked to be here on a Sunday and those who actually turn up. I think that's really sad. And I, I understand the devil will try and stop people from getting to church. But, but ever ask yourself why? Does he ever try and stop you from going to the cinema? Did he ever try and stop you going to the bar or the nightclub or the off license? Why does he try and stop people? This is why we have to be wise and understand things don't just happen. That's the devil trying to stop you getting into church where you're going to hear the word of God, where you're going to get into the presence of God, where yokes are going to be broken off you, where you may hear a word that may end up saving your life and determining your destiny. I believe that. And so anyway... Um, it says the invitation was given, but they all one accord began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. What kind of a moron would buy a field without first looking at it? I'm sure he had seen it before, but again, he was more excited about something than he had bought than he was about coming into the presence of the king. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. How many of you would buy a car without first taking a test drive? You wouldn't. Same way in in that day and age, you wouldn't buy oxen without testing them. So again, it's not that they hadn't done this. Really what what this chapter is speaking about is priorities. It's not that Christians don't love God you know, it's, it's, I think it was John Bevere once went to this minister, um, you know, who had fallen into sin. He had a TV ministry and all sorts of terrible things that happened. And he was in prison as a consequence of, of what he had been doing. And he visited him and he said, when did you stop loving God? He said, I never stopped loving God. He said, no, but you, you, you used all that money. You were with hookers and you're doing this, that, and the other. And he said, when did you stop loving God? He said, I never stopped loving God. I just didn't fear God. You see, you can love God and still do all sorts of dumb things. But when you fear God, suddenly God and his word and his purpose and his plan become a priority. It's not second place. It's not third place. It's first place. God must come first. And so they all began to make excuse. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
<laughs> like they say, when a man is single, he's incomplete. When he's married, he's finished. Um, so let's move right on from there. But let's not insult. <laughs> I wasn't talking about me, darling. I'm talking about him. Um, uh, <laughs> don't insult your father by disregarding his gracious call to come before him in prayer. But I'm too busy, pastor. If you're too busy to pray, then again, you're too busy than God ever intended to you to be, and you need to readjust your priorities and fast. Because first we make our choices, and then our choices make us, or break us, depending on what they are. How many men and women arrive in eternity to discover they neglected the most important thing in life, which was to know and serve God? That is our highest goal, is to know God and to, to glorify God. Amen? Revelation 21 and 3 talks about how God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Revelation 21 and verse 3, and it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And what I wonder is, even for those who have made it, for those who are in heaven for eternity, I wonder, are they tears of regret when they suddenly realize what God might have done in their life if only they had prayed? I wonder, can you have tears of regret in heaven? I know there will be uh, tears for those who end up in hell, but even for those who make it, when they look back in their life and see what God might have done for them and in them and through them, if only they had taken time to pray. And so, again, uh, th this is so important because there's more to this life than simply making heaven. We're called to bring others with us. Amen? We're called to bring our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. Our, you know, we're called to bring this world. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, God wants to bring all of us to a deeper place of prayer. Because what breathing is to us physically, so too prayer is to us spiritually. It brings life and liberty and freedom. And as I've gone to great pains over the last number of weeks, I believe freedom is under assault. You know, this week in Austria, you know, they've put, you know, those who are not vaccinated under, under lockdown. And again, it's entirely your choice what you do in regards to the, to the vaccine. That's not the point. The point is, you know, they've decided from February that they're going to make it mandatory. And, you know, I was just thinking about it early this morning. I was praying and, uh, you know, just even under the Geneva Convention, you wouldn't have the right to start injecting prisoners. Uh, you know, if it was somewhere like North Korea, you'd say, okay. But, you know, when they're mandating this kind of thing in our society, I think that's a very dangerous direction because irrespective of whether you've taken it, it, it may be a vaccine today, it may be a chip tomorrow. Who is to say? And I, you, you know, so again, uh, I think it came out in the doll this week that the government had actually hired a company to spy on people that had been critical of their, uh, of their policies in regards to this whole thing. I, I think this is extremely dystopian and, and very, very troubling. You know, again, that'd be fine if this was North Korea. This is not. And, and my, my honest opinion is after these last two years, democracy as we know it has been literally put through a shredder by governments who, who somehow feel entitled to, to rewrite um, you know, the laws of, of what demine, uh, defines a functioning democracy. I think it's very troubling. And, and this is why I think pulpits are so dangerous because again, you know, online has become so um, curated and so controlled. Um, uh, and honestly, I think in real terms, uh, you know, uh, the days of churches live streaming is probably limited because, you know, under hate speech and all these other laws that are being applied, the time may come where it'll be illegal to, to live stream the preaching of the gospel. But, um, you know, this is why I think the pulpit is, is a dangerous place because it's one of the last free spaces. Because, again, surely the one thing that brings us together is our love of truth. And truth still matters. Amen. Truth is eternal. It will outlive every dictator. It will overcome every despot. It will, it will triumph over every lie. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Could somebody say thank you, Jesus? 
I thought that was just a bird watcher up in the tree near my house. Okay, let's just move on. (laughs) Maybe I'm paranoid. (laughs) It's okay to laugh. All right, come on, let's keep laughing. God, if if we lose the ability to laugh, it's over. You know, it's curtains. (laughs) So let's get back to to prayer. Let's leave all of these theories to the side. Let's let's just get back to prayer. Galatians 5 and verse 1 in the NIV, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, there is a place of freedom and rest that you will only find in the place of prayer. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This liberty, the Spirit of God brings liberty. Liberty from sin and strife. Liberty from the lies of the enemy of your soul. And that's why I don't know about you. My faith and my focus is not on Mother Earth. It's on my Father God. You know, during the week, I was getting my car serviced and there was an older man, I think you guess he was in his 70s. He was sitting down and, and we were waiting for, the, for our cars and he started talking to me. He says, oh, it's terrible what we've done to Mother Earth. And... Uh, <laughs> He was talking to the wrong guy. Um, <laughs> I, I said, yeah, you know, but uh, I, I, I think it's ironic. I said that, that people get all appalled about, you know, how we're treating Mother Earth and, and we disregard the fact that we're murdering millions of babies every year. And um, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just started sharing the gospel with him. And, and right there and then I prayed for him to receive Jesus. Fact is, the guy came back with, he was waiting with the keys. And I'm here praying the prayer of salvation right in the, in the garage. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Probably the first time somebody was wanted Jesus right there in that garage. So, um, you know, but, but uh, I, again, this, this, this whole thing, I think it's important we keep our focus on our Father God. Uh, Revelation 6 and 12 in the New Living. I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the the moon became as red as blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their place. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, uh, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us in the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? It's interesting, the Bible says the sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were removed from their place. The Bible says the time will come when God literally rolls the sky up like a scroll. And that ironically includes the ozone layer. You know, the time will come when God creates a new heaven and earth. Second Peter 3, 7, uh, 3, 13 talks about it. It says, uh, uh, you know, a, a world wherein dwells righteousness. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so, you know, this isn't an excuse for us to abuse or misuse or deliberately pollute the earth, but it does in a way warn us about making a false god or an idol um, of this planet. Because let me say this, it is people and not planets that matter to God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because this earth is not eternal, but your soul is. Your soul is eternal. And this is why it is so important for us, um, you know, to, to maintain a proper perspective on what actually matters, okay? Um, because again, the reality is those who embrace this ideology start uh, to look at human beings as a form, uh, you know, as a, as a threat to the planet and ultimately as a form of pollution. And, and that invariably um, leads to the question of who needs to be dis- disposed of first. And, and, and so, you know, this neo-pagan thinking, and that, that's all it is, it's just uh, paganism rebranded. You know, we think this is all new. No, it's not. Study history. This is all very ancient. 
Many of you have come from cultures where, you know, they, they, they worshiped the earth. You know, look at Aztec civilization, the Greeks, all these others. There was, you know, these elements of paganism, you know, and, and uh, you know, the essence of paganism is that the earth is holy and worthy of, of worship and veneration. But you know what? It, this is a deception. It's a lie. Romans 1.25, and it says... Uh, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So it's important we don't get things backwards and start worshiping the creation rather than worshiping the creator. Amen? Hallelujah. This is why Jesus said, Luke 21 and verse 8, Take heed that you be not deceived. Um, Luke 22:46. he said, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And, uh, you know, these are the days that we're living in where Christ warned us of. And so we need to be discerning. Uh, Colossians 4 and verse 2, it says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open uh, for us a door for the word to preach, the to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So the Bible says, continue earnestly in prayer. It doesn't just say because you have some great need, pray. Yes, you're gonna pray when you have a great need, that's fine. But you know what, many times we let our foot off the accelerator once that problem is resolved. And that's not how we, it said we should continue earnestly in prayer. Prayer must become a lifestyle. And even in these turbulent and, and trying times, we can still access God's peace and grace and provision and power. Because again, we have power in prayer. Amen? We, we have power to see hearts changed and nations transformed if only we will pray. First uh, Timothy 2.4, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, the new living, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. One of the things that struck me with this man, and he's 70s, he said, you know, I'm not afraid to die. He says, you know, I'm a good person and I've lived a good life. And sure, you know, I believe there's a force out there. I said, my, my friend, you are, you are not ready to die. And, but he was when, when I left him, amen? But, but I think th this, is, this is something so important for us to understand. God wants everyone to be saved. God loves everyone. And you know what? God puts people by our pathway every day if we're sensitive enough to let God reach out to them with his love, amen? But it's interesting that God places the salvation of souls in the context of intercessory prayer. Amen? And um, so, anyway, the, the American, uh, because that verse, it, it, you know, the first, um, uh, first Timothy 1 to 4 talks about, um, I urge, first of all, that prayers and intercessions, giving you thanks, be made for all men, kings, and all those in authority. And so, we need to be praying, not just for ourselves and our needs, we need to be praying for the wider world, and we definitely need to be praying for our government. So, God, God places the salvation of souls in the context of intercessory prayer. You know, the American uh, preacher and revivalist, Charles G. Finney, was probably one of the greatest revivalists that ever lived. Um, I read his autobiography um, not long after I got saved. And, um, well, actually, it was his biography, because um, he wrote it. And, um, uh, but anyway, I, I've read it many times, and I yearn to see what he saw, because he saw America shaken with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in one week before the American Civil War, he saw over 50,000 people saved. That was in a time when they had no, you know, uh, social media or TV or, um, you know, even amplification. Over 50,000 people in one week. And yet I find it amazing how, you know, Christians and movements who've had little or no effect or influence on society so quickly criticized these men and women who literally shook their generation. I think it, 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 it takes a certain degree of arrogance and pride. Um, you know, to sit back and critique a lot of these men and women, Catherine Coleman and, and these others, who, who, who were used so powerfully by God. And so, anyway, um, he was the leader of the second great awakening in America. He was, um, like I said, he was a lawyer um, who converted to Christ, and he departed from the Reformed theology of the day, um, and, and, and uh, he, he departed from it by teaching that people had free will to choose salvation. Back in the 1850s, that was quite radical to say that somebody could choose to be saved. Um, you know, predestination says God chooses this person for heaven, he chooses that person for hell. I think that is an awful, uh, it, it's an awful ideology. It's completely unbiblical. I don't believe it. God, God wants all people to be saved. I just read it there in Timothy. But anyway, 
Um, his convictions led this man to push for social reforms in society, such as the abolition of the slave trade, equal education for women and black people. Um, he even allowed women to pray out loud in the service. And um, he was president of Oberlin College, 1850 to 1866. Um, it was the first American college to accept uh, women and black people. He, he worked very closely with a man called Brother Nash, who was a minister, who would go before him, and he would spend uh, days and weeks in, in agonized prayer for the towns and cities where Charles G. Finney would be coming to. And suddenly revival would start to break out in these areas where people would be just out in the shops or in the streets, and they would fall to the ground under conviction of sin without even hearing a sermon. You know, Charles E. Finney led over a half a million people to Christ. And while Brother Nash never preached a sermon, and yet I, I, I believe that much of Charles G. Finney's success was rooted in intercession. Um, there was an owner of a guest house, or, or a boarding house as they called it, back then where, uh, where uh, Brother Nash was staying. And um, the, the owner of the guest house came to, to Charles D. Finney and she was terrified. And, and she said, you know, he hasn't eaten for days. Um, all, all I can hear are, are these loud cries from his room. She walked into the room and she saw Nash on the ground, groaning, um, uh, lying on the floor. And, and she told Finney and he laughed and he said, he has prevailed in prayer we will see revival and they did and you know th this may seem strange or unnatural you know to some of us but this is the reason why many ministers and many churches only ever have natural results because natural minds bring natural results um, and and you know the Bible says in 1st Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 it says for we received uh, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things as spiritual. But the natural man uh, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to, his, to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Amen. The natural man or the natural mind doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's why we have to renew our mind with the Word of God so that we can receive the things of the Spirit, so that we can walk in the deeper things of the Spirit. Because like I said, natural minds bring natural results, one or two here or there. But you know what? Finney literally shook his nation. You know, the USA, the USA was never the same again after his ministry. You know, he paved the way for evangelists like Billy Sunday and uh, D.L. Moody and, and Billy Graham. Because again, we want to fill buildings, but God wants us to ask for nations. How many of you are going to start asking for nations in Jesus' name? It's time. Amen. It's time to see this. And, and so maybe we, we would be more fruitful and effective if we would back up our witnessing and our preaching with our prayers. And yet too many times, we're, we're like the disciples. We're toiling all night, but we're catching nothing. You know, Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. This is the characteristic of, of those who are following Jesus. So again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be a soul winner. Thank you. Thank you for those three amens. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be a soul winner. You should be praying for your colleagues, for your family, for your children, for your friends, for your neighbors, that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has invited us to be fishers of men, but while some are satisfied with using a rod, I believe this is a day where God wants us to believe for trawlers in Jesus' name. And that's why I think the intercessory prayer team are key for us to taking this city and this nation. I want to read Luke chapter 5 again. You know, Jesus said, um, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And so I believe this is symbolic of we have to move into the deeper things of God if we want to see the harvest that God has promised. We have to, you know, many of us are, it's like, it's like Ron Bonke. He went to preach one time at, at, on prayer at a certain church and the people just sat there looking at him. They weren't spirit filled. And, and you know, I remember his quote was, when he walked away, he says, it must be so difficult to swim in three inches of water. 
And, and literally, that's what most Christians spend their lives. They'll just get so, so deep till they're comfortable. It's up to their ankles or it's up to their knees. God wants us, like in the book of Ezekiel, to move out into the deep waters, amen, where we need him in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This is a day for harvest. Jesus said, step out into the deep. God is calling all of us into a deeper place of prayer. And, you know, they went out and, you know, they caught a great net and a number of fish. Their nets were breaking. And so they signaled to their other partners and you know if we would only follow Christ's example and undergird our actions with our prayers we might be more successful in our endeavors for him you know Luke chapter 6 and 12 talks about Jesus prayed all night before he chose the 12 disciples Mark 1 35 Jesus rose a long time before daylight went to solitary place and there he prayed uh, Luke chapter 22, Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane, poured out his heart to God in prayer. Even on the cross, Jesus was still praying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He was praying for us, even in that place of pain. And you know, sadly, intercessors, pastors, and evangelists rarely work together. And I believe much of this is rooted in insecurity, pride, arrogance, and personal agendas. But I think if like Peter, who immediately called for his partners in the other boat, if we would work together, we would see far more accomplished for God's kingdom. You know, Mark chapter 4 and verse 29, but as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. People, it's time for harvest. It's time for a great harvest of souls in Jesus' name. And if there was ever, I believe, a time and a generation where people needed to hear good news, it's now. And so I want to share five aspects to answered prayer. And the first of these is family. Okay, Matthew 6 and verse 7, and when you pray, do not babble like the pagans, for they think that, the, that there are many words that they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows. Your father knows you. He knows your wants. He knows your desires. He knows your needs. He knows your circumstances. He knows it all. And so, remember, when we pray, we're not uh, praying to some distant or impersonal force. We're praying to our Father. He loves us. Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. The very first, the very first two words Jesus gives us when we approach God is our Father. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, we are friends and family of God. We are loved. We don't approach God as servants. We don't approach him as slaves. We approach him as sons and as daughters of God. We are members of God's royal family. Amen? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. For you are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The New King James. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Amplified says, For you who are born again have been reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, and are all children of God, set apart for His purposes with full rights and privileges through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you taken advantage of your rights and your privileges as a child of God? <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. It's in prayer that we claim them. It's in prayer that we, that we take what God has given to us. Amen. And this is the sad thing. Many believers are still trying to earn what God has freely given. And you will never earn what God gives as a gift. I think it's important to understand that. Again, Ephesians 1 and 4, just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, having predestined you to adoption as sons. 
You see, God chose you. You are not an accident. You are loved by him. You are loved, you are chosen, and you are called by God. He has a purpose and he has a destiny for your life. And when you understand that, it gives you a very different perspective in prayer because you're no longer going to be approaching God as, oh Lord, I'm so unworthy. I'm such a miserable worm of the dust. I like to call that worm theology. It's completely unbiblical. You are not a worm, you're not a slave, you're not a servant, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are precious to him, in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. The book of Deuteronomy says, you are his special treasure. Do you know that God looks at you and he says, that's my little treasure right there. Amen. You might be making a complete mess of things. Your life might be completely dysfunctional right now, but he doesn't see you for what you are. He sees you what you can be by God's grace. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is really glorious. It's interesting that the declaration of destiny in verse 11 is immediately followed by an invitation to intimacy in verse 12. I know the plans I have for you. Then you will come and pray to me. Amen. So again, you cannot have destiny without having intimacy. And that intimacy is only found in the place of prayer because while knowledge is important, amen, there's no substitute for time spent in the presence of the king. And, and unfortunately, that's what some Christians do. They just get a head full of knowledge and they go around and they try and impress others with their knowledge. God isn't impressed by your knowledge. He's impressed by your fruit. I see people with all sorts of knowledge with no fruit. And I sometimes wonder, you know, what is missing here? But I believe it's in prayer. It's in prayer God speaks to us and he starts knocking off those rough edges from our, from our life. And so anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Do people walk away from you with the realization that you have been in the presence of the king? Do they recognize you as a God-touched man or a God-touched woman? Amen? Can they see it in your eyes, in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in the way uh, you, you engage with others? Is your life a living testimony to the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ? You know, and I think this is important at a time where we see so much hatred and polarization. People so divided, so, you know, hazing on each other all the time. The question is this, when we see people divided, do we walk in love? Do we walk in Him? Because Colossians 2.6 says, walk in Him. Because you cannot walk in Christ and walk in prejudice. You cannot walk in Christ and walk in unforgiveness or walk in selfishness. And so again, God is inviting us to come deeper because in our walk with Christ, destiny can never be accomplished without intimacy. Ultimately, you can't have one without the other. And again, th this is why if you received Christ, you didn't join a religion. You didn't uh, embrace an ideology. You didn't join a business or even an army. You joined a family. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, we approach God on the basis of relationship through the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf at the cross. You see, through Christ, we are redeemed, we are accepted, we are members of God's family. Amen. And this is why the King of Kings has invited us to come. And again, the door is open. Anytime you want to come before the Lord in prayer. But don't complain that you can't hear his voice if you don't ever spend time with him in prayer or in his word. So firstly, family, I need to speed up here, uh, faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm talking about keys or aspects to answered prayer. Firstly, faith. Second, uh, sorry, firstly, family. Secondly, faith. Your prayers will never be answered without faith. Because sometimes we're praying for things we don't even believe. 
We're asking God for things that we don't even really believe he's going to do for us. Amen? And so this is why it's important to understand that volume or length or even tears are no indication that your prayers will be answered. Oh, I was praying and I, I felt something like angels' wings. That's, yeah, maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Maybe, you, maybe it's just one of your kids walking by. I don't know, but maybe it was angels. But, but the reality is that is no proof that your prayer has been answered. It's by faith. Everything God does in your life is by faith. And everything that Satan does in your life is by fear. Which pathway are you walking in? The avenue that God brings his blessing into your life is true faith. The avenue that Satan brings his curses into your life is true fear. I don't know about you, I'm choosing faith, not fear in Jesus' name. Amen? So, hallelujah. Mark chapter 6. Um, I, I, I love this chapter because, uh, you know, we always think of Jesus, you know, nothing is impossible or whatever. But you know what? Uh, Jesus came to his hometown and... Um, it says, the people started uh, saying, where did this man get these things? Um, is this not the carpenter? You see, they wanted to bring him down to their level, a level they were comfortable with. Is this not the carpenter? And the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and none of his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. And if you're an offended believer, you'll never get anything from God. You'll never get anything from God. As a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm quite okay with the fact that sometimes people will get up and walk out of, you know, my message. And, um, but, you know, I, I, I don't take it personally. I'm, I'm quite used to it now, you know. Um, no, I don't look for it. I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not wanting it, but, you know, it happens. But I, I understand that, that people are offended. It's not me. I don't take it personally. They're offended at truth. And that's why it's important. Don't be offended by the truth. If the shoe fits, deal with it. And so, <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, I think that was for you. Um, but Jesus said, a, a prophet, <laughs> still 20 minutes, we, we, we can go anywhere yet. So just hang on in there. But it says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and even in his own house. Now he could do no mighty, now he could do, now he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Do you know that their unbelief literally short-circuited the power of God? You know, Mark chapter 16, Jesus rebuked the disciples for their unbelief. That was the very first thing he did after rising from the dead. He appears to the disciples and he rebuked them for their unbelief because they didn't believe. And, you know, he knew they would need to shake that negative, unbelieving attitude if they were to go forth and, and you know, uh, take the gospel to, message to the nations. And, and so he had to rebuke that unbelief because it takes faith to serve God well. You know, Matthew um, uh, chapter 17 Matthew 17 and verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 17, I want to start in, in verse 14. When they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Note here that Jesus was angry. You know, unbelief grieves the heart of God. Because this man, had a, had a, 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 he had a great need. His son was in a very dark place. And you know what? This city is full of people Whose, whose children are in dark places. You know, people you know, locked up in, in psychiatric hospitals, people locked up in prison, you know, kids out you know, addicted on drugs or in gangs or all of this dysfunction that's happening in our society. 
We have a part to play in shining the light of the gospel in dark places, in ministering hope to broken people. And this is why Jesus was grieved that the disciples didn't fix this. Remember, he authorized them. He said, go out, um, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. I mean, he, he told the disciples, this, and, and this applies to us. We're called to change our world. And, and too many times we're waiting on God to fix things that, that he's authorized us to deal with. And I'm, I'm not even going to get to finish this message, but I'll have to deal with it after the Bradys are gone. But, but um, you know, I think this is so important because when we look at this, Jesus answered, said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. The answer to your problems is bring it to Jesus. But at the same time, I look at this and I don't want the Lord to look at me and say, you faithless and perverse, you know, uh, son, why are you not believing me for more? Why are you not doing something about this situation? And so um, he said, bring him to me. And it says, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And listen, this may not fit uh, in our modern society, may not seem politically correct, but demons and devils are real. They're very real. They haven't changed. All of the demons that are around in the time of Jesus haven't just magically disappeared because we are now more sophisticated than they were. No, mankind still faces the same problems. They still struggle with the same sin and dysfunction. And, and the answer is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, just like the ministry of Jesus, he healed the sick, he taught the gospel, he cast out devils. And I believe in these days to come, we're going to see a lot more devils being cast out of people in Jesus' name because God wants you free and God wants the people of this generation free because this is a generation that has tried everything by the time they're, you know, 18 years of age. But many times what they're engaging in and what they're opening their lives to is literally opening them to demonic oppression. And, you know, there is no tablet that can get you rid of a demon. There is no psychologist or psychiatrist that can talk you out of that. You have to have a thing cast out of you. You have to have the power of the devil broken over you. And that's the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The disciples came after us and said, Lord, why we could not cast it out? And he said, because of your unbelief. For I surely say to you, if you are faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this count does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we're going to take this up in two weeks' time. Between now and then, I ask you all to fast. Don't eat. You can drink some water. Just fast. Wow, thank you for that enthusiasm. <laughs> no, but you know what? Between now and then, next two weeks, I'd encourage you, even if you fast a meal once a week, just fast one, it's good to say no to your flesh. But Jesus said, sometimes there's unbelief that will only leave your life through prayer and fasting. As the worship group come forward, I'd, I'd love to have finished this today, but I, I, I can't, I, I need to give it the time that it deserves. And, um, but you know what? I, I, I believe, uh, you know, nothing will help you um, like having a strong prayer life. Nothing will see your life change as quickly as developing a strong prayer life. And that's why I wanted the teens in today to hear this. And, um, but you know what? Hallelujah. If you could stand to your feet today. Now don't switch off. The service isn't over. Amen. We're going we're gonna to release our faith and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is in this place. God said he would confirm his words uh, with signs following. And so, again, if, if you need a miracle, if you're sick in your body, um, we're going to pray right now in Jesus' name. We're going to believe for a miracle for you. Uh, thank you, Father. So if you could all just stay in a, in, a, in a place of prayer. If you need to leave, then do so quietly. We understand people have places to go, etc. But, you know, I believe God wants to confirm his word with signs following in Jesus' name. So could we just, just close your eyes right now for a moment and let's just lift our hearts to heaven. Hallelujah. You know, we've heard his word. Amen. We've heard his word about prayer. And, you know, the same God that, 
that anointed, uh, you know, Catherine Coleman and Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagen and uh, the same God that anointed Charles G. Finney and, and Billy Sunday and, and, and uh, D.L. Moody and all these mighty men and women of God down through the ages. That same God is with us today. And when we pray, we connect with the Creator, the God who, who created this world through, just through the words that He spoke. Amen. We connect with the power of God in prayer. So I'd like you to just begin to pray for a few moments in the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Just stir yourself up right now. Amen. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. Glory to Jesus. The Lord is in this place. And I believe He wants to do miracles. Amen. Glory to Jesus. If you have an oppression, if you are bound in some area, I believe the Lord wants to set you free in Jesus' name. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you're sick in their body, I believe the Lord wants to heal you. Glory to God. Amen. If you're, if you're not saved, you're going to get saved this morning. But I believe God's going to touch you at the point of your need in Jesus' name. We serve a miracle-working God, and we thank you right now, Lord God, for your presence in this place. We just stir ourselves up right now. We just pray. We just pray, Lord God, and we just thank you that you're a God who hears. You're a God who hears. Hallelujah. Isaiah 52, you said you're the God who speaks. Amen. And because you speak, we can hear. We can hear your voice, Lord God. We can hear your voice. We can receive our needs. Glory to God. You are a very present help in times of trouble. And you know, there's no doubt that we're living in troubled times where you are present. You are here. You are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We believe you are here. We believe you are here, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Just welcome the Lord in this place today. He is here by his spirit. Glory to Jesus. He is here to do the same things he did 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Glory to God. He is in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So if you have a need, could you just lift your hands up by faith? Just lift that need up by faith. Maybe you're believing for a spouse, or maybe you're believing to get out of debt, or maybe you have cancer, or maybe you have a loved one that is far from God today. Just lift them up to the Lord right now. God sees your heart. He knows you better than you know yourself. He sees your needs. He sees your situation, and He's going to move in Jesus' name. He's going to move in your life because you are precious to Him. You are His treasure. You are His beloved. Hallelujah. He so loved you, He gave His only Son to die on a cross in your place. Come on, let's just lift up our situation by faith to God right now in Jesus' name because there is no need He cannot make. Hallelujah. There is no need He cannot meet. There is no sickness He cannot heal. There is no devil He cannot cast out in Jesus' name. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord. You see every person. You see every heart. You see every home. You see every need, Lord. And so, Father, as we lift up those needs, needs to you. We bring them before you by faith. We bring them before you by faith, Lord. And we are believing today as we pray, as we present these needs. Some of you are believing for homes. Hallelujah. Some of you need, you know, you've been renting for years. It's time to own your own home in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just stretch our faith today in Jesus' name. Some of you have had iniquities, you know, cycles of behavior. Today, they're going to be broken in Jesus' name. No more going back like a dog to its vomit. No more going back to those dead things. No more going back to those dark places. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We declare freedom right now. We declare freedom right now. Every chain break right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let every chain break. Let every chain break. Let every burden be broken. Let every burden be lifted. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare freedom to the children of God. I declare freedom right now from every yoke, every iniquity in Jesus' name. 
Some of you have generational iniquities. Your father struggled with the same thing. His father struggled before him. Your mother before you. There's generational things. You know, the sins of the fathers visited to the third and the fourth generation. I declare that's broken over you today. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Those iniquities are broken in Jesus' name. We declare them broken in the name of Jesus. Just receive freedom right now. Receive freedom right now. Receive healing right now. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Lord, there are people today that are sick. I raise up Ingrid. We command those tumors to wither up and die. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord. We curse that cancer in the name of Jesus. We declare Lourdes healed, healed in Jesus' name. Every person today that is sick in their body, we command all pain to go. We command all disease to go. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, be whole, be healed, be free from your from your infirmity right now in Jesus' name. Receive your miracle right now. I don't know what the miracle is you need, but the Lord hears you. He hears your prayer. Just begin to cry out to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Cry out as a son, not as a slave. Cry out as a daughter, not as a servant. Cry out to God right now. Lift up that knee to him in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for household salvation. Thank you, Lord, that all of our children will be taught of the Lord. And great shall be the peace of our children in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We speak healing. We speak wholeness. We speak deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. 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 Receive your miracle now in Jesus' name. Receive it. Receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you believe it, could you give a shout of praise to the Lord? Come on. Give a shout of victory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, Jesus.